Hey everybody, it's Aaron with Coraline Sporting Goods and the Hunt Hard Talk Free Podcast. Um, this episode is brought to you by Ballistics Custom Turrets, the most affordable and precise turret on the market, hands down. Um, in this episode, I'm joined by Bob Zimmer, our local member of parliament. Yes. And you're a committee member for the Standing Committee of Indigenous and Northern Affairs, yes. Canada-Europe Parliamentary Association and Canadian Delegation of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe parliamentary assembly that's a mouthful did i say that right yeah that's pretty good yeah <laughs> um yeah it keeps me busy no kidding yeah. how do you keep that all going at the same time like that's, yeah. that's well a lot it's to uh, take on. well just like you you aaron I mean, I mean you got uh i call it a nice a good juggling act you get better at it as the years go by yep. so it's just a matter of uh experience and uh you know again just super busy always though but it's uh i think you know after 12 years you you just know how to where to push to get things done and uh what you need to do to really get things across the line so uh that experience has really come together and it's been working really well so uh, i'm now the shadow minister for arctic so- uh, northern affairs arctic sovereignty northern economic development and I had that uh, portfolio before, and then with uh, Pierre Polyev as our new leader, uh, continue with that portfolio, and it keeps me very busy in the north. I bet. Yeah. No kidding. Um, tell me about the last month. And I mean, we're going to focus on the outdoor world sure. for the most part, but we can digress and dig into some other things that it's the are... the fun stuff. The outdoor stuff is the fun stuff. Well, it's all fun, but... Perfect. But, yeah. But there's a lot of other things hitting Canada right now that we'll touch on, but we'll, we'll, we'll start off with the fun stuff. Sure. Tell me about the last couple months and what you've been up to. Yeah. Well, uh, with the fun stuff. So, uh, I'd probably say, um, some may have seen the videos online where I got to go along with Pierre Polyev. Um, we went to Skeena, Bulkley Valley riding. So we went to Smithers, Terrace, Kitimat, and then we went up to Whitehorse. Uh, where we did several rallies together. It was him and I just in uh, the Skeena area, and then uh, another member of Parliament, Ann Rude, came with us to Whitehorse. But just great. Uh, the crowds are just incredible. And, uh, you know, he's bringing a message of, of change, and it's what people want, especially after eight years of this tired uh uh, government and prime minister. Uh, yeah. They really want to see it. It's really affecting those rural communities. Uh, and you talk about the fun stuff. It's it's stuff like thirty by thirty, where they're closing down waters and and lands, for what doesn't make sense. It seems uh, they're saying it's for protection reasons, but we all have seen with even the caribou uh, stuff that went on here back in 2018, 2019, It's yep. baloney. It's yep. not about protection. It's about uh, closing access. Uh, we've seen uh, you know we want to kind of expand that a little bit. We've seen three mills close because of thirty by thirty. Uh, Chatwind and uh, one in Prince George, one in Fort St John, because of a lack of access to timber. Yep. And so we're seeing that same uh, thing happen on the waters. So uh, marine closures is another kind of a, a, a aspect of thirty by thirty. Uh, and I got uh, involved with this 12 years ago when Pensima, um, Pacific North Coast Integrated Management Area, it was a closure proposed for the west coast of BC. And I got uh, in front of it back then, we had it shelved when we were in government, but yet it, it's, they're relentless. And uh, part of this Prime Minister's mandate to either his Environment Minister or his Fisheries and Oceans Minister is 30 by 30 and implementing that 30 by 30. Which is a global initiative. It is. It's a sustainable development goal uh, of, of the 17 goals of the UN. This is one of them. And uh, this, this Prime Minister is bent on implementing it. So we have seven years, uh, or six and a half years, I guess, before th- that 2030 uh, year arrives. Yep. And he is hell-bent on getting there. So whether it's uh, mining closures or whether it's people... And people say, you know, you can't mean actual stopping people that are fishing with a fishing rod out there fishing. Oh, yeah. They're closing some of the most prime spots for, for, for different reasons that just don't make sense. And uh, it, what I've seen, it's, it's straight up all about the 30 by 30 initiative. Have the closures occurred yet? Yes. They're already Some happening. Some of them, well, the caribou closures, you know, yep. have happened. Yep. Um, uh, the marine closures are being proposed. There's more being proposed, uh, interior closures as we speak. Um, and they're just going to keep going after more. I was up in Yukon and we talked to the Chamber of Mines up there and talk about relevance. So I brought up 30 by 30 asking them, had they heard about it? And they said, oh yeah. They said, uh, we think we're actually at 52% closure already. Holy. Uh, protection protection 
But they say the problem is, is the government only uh, recognizes that we're at 19%. So that means they're going to come after another 11. We saw that with the caribou closure as well. Right. It wasn't necessarily the mass amounts of land. It was access to. You shut down the access points. Now you've got that entire mountain range protected. It's like closing access to this office building. Well, you say you're just going to close 1%. Well, that 1% happens to be the door. The only way to get into the office. It closes the whole area. Right. So, uh, but anyway, that's uh, very much a part of this prime minister and what his, he is driven to do. And you see that with his uh, environment minister, Gibo. Uh, and even a natural resource minister, they're both radicals. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, um, Pierre is talking uh, much more practical, common sense, uh, you know, um, conservation-minded, and we're all about conservation. You and I both know that some of the most avid conservationists are people that fish and hunt themselves. 100%. Right? So yep. uh, that's, that's the way we, we want to do it. Yep. And, uh, and again, we think uh, this prime minister's off the rails. I would fully agree. The last thing we want is to eradicate species and sh- and right. kill off entire areas. We need conservation. It's, it's 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 a must have, and we need to teach our children about that. Yeah. And I'm all for p- protecting the environment and species, but it has to be science based. Exactly. There have to be facts backing these, as opposed to well, humans are just destructive, and right. we need to shut it all down. Well, and it's funny you bring up that because uh, just one example, and this is uh, the your audience will appreciate this. So we always have said science-based. So I was on Fisheries and Oceans Committee. We actually proved that the, the ministry itself weren't even following the guidance of their own scientists on the science <laughs> of this stuff. It was all about ideology, ramming it through, right? One example. So we're at Pender Bluffs. It's a little area outside of Victoria, B.C. So... Uh, they implemented uh, closure to fish for salmon in the area, right? And and they, the reason why was southern resident killer whales, right? And that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Like we care about killer whales too. We don't yep. want to see them pass away or yep. uh, or where they are eradicated uh, from from our waters. Uh, but uh, we asked the minister, well, if you close this area, how many days a year are killer whales actually here? Uh, we get the answer back. We don't know because we don't track the information <laughs> right so then well how can you close it then if you don't know well that's the reason precautionary principle we're going to close it down because we don't know well thankfully the americans are just meters away so the americans have been following the killer whale uh, presence in that area yep. guess how many days a year the killer whales are actually in that area 20 seven to ten days a year wow so so why not close it we call it bubble closures close it when the whales are for there. the month yeah yep. yeah even give it, and some, it can be some fluid. extra time yep. yeah absolutely uh, but no, the minister even knows this and then shut it down for the entire uh, 365 days a year. Wow. And this is another proof point, I guess, that completely disregarding the science. Uh, right. And that's like, hey, uh, you know, and what I've just learned, I, I was talking with uh, Owen Bird of the Sport Fishing uh, uh, Institute Association, uh, SFIB of BC. And he said, well, actually, the southern resident killers are at about 77 right now, doing very well. And the transient population has gone up to 600. Wow. So the amount of killer whales out there uh, are, are growing and they're very healthy. Excellent. And good to know. And because they're well fed with salmon and yep. seal. Yep. Know, so anyway, uh, I just wish this government would care a bit more about science. If a person had to speculate... What's the real reason they're closing it? Yeah, well, I think it's all about 30 by 30. It's getting to this number that yep. uh, when, when the prime minister goes back to Davos and brags to his buddies out there, well, I'm, I'm at this percentage, and that's the language they speak. Even We've hit our 30. That's right. You haven't and, yet. And 30 is not the end, by the way. It's uh, the number that's, that's just over the horizon is 50 uh, by 2050. So and guess where they're going to get all this area? Ooh, not by the cities, not around. <laughs> right. Well, I guess around Vancouver, but it's not happening in Toronto. It's not. It's it's going to be the. are going to get it all. Out the of, great outdoors, uh, the wild bet. north. You bet. So well, and it's it's just unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. What? So outside of um, the caribou that we've already seen yeah. and the fishing, what else are you seeing come down with the thirty by thirty? Are they creating more parks or are they restricting access? To all people yeah. shutting down, or yeah. Closing well, they're areas, using it. They're, they're kind of doing it in a few different ways. They're using it. Uh, they're either closing it under the guise of um, 
some some of it's involved with First Nations and agreements and, and First Nations management of certain areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even our local First Nations have seen, um, I'll use the previous example, the, the moose reduction. The province yep. was announcing that we were going to do a 50% moose reduction. Uh, and they were gonna, they were laying at the feet of the local First Nations. Hey, local First Nations are asking for this. Well, I, I, I know Chief Judy Desjardins, and she said, well, that's hogwash. We never asked for this. I wrote an article and put it in the paper and said it's hogwash. It's, it's not the First Nations asking at all. And then uh, uh, I think it was three other chiefs followed me and, yep. and Judy to, to say, this is baloney. We're not yep. asking for this closure at all. Because Judy so, took over for Yahe, and yeah. it's the Yahe ruling. Yeah, but that's kind of a separate thing. Okay. But, but this, the, the 50% moose reduction. So anyway, you know, the government of the, pro, the province of BC is really kind of using uh, different groups uh, to, to, to kind of meet their ambitions. Yep. And, uh, and they're, they're doing it in other ways too. So um, anyway, all that said, uh, they're trying to get it. Uh, I'd say that uh, Justin Trudeau's trying to get there, and he's got a complicit provincial government that's helping him get there. Yeah. And we saw that with caribou closures, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Blair Luxstrom even stepped in. Yeah. Uh, even pre- pre- former Premier Horgan yep. uh, said, hey, uh, we've got to clean up this mess that this has become. Uh, Blair, we want you to get some talk to those folks like CCCR, yep. Concerned Citizens for Caribou Recovery. And uh, what did we hear? Uh, we, we gave all this feedback to say, this is what you need to hear. This is all of what needs to be done. Yep. And, and uh, you, you tell the listener what well, happened. There was, there were, I want to say, 47 points that Blair came up with on what should be done and handed over a book of these are the points, these are the reasons why, this is the data that's been collected, and it basically just got shelved, got shuffled away. How many did they, how many did they actually use? Zero. 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 They didn't, it it, it was just giving lip service, I feel, back to the public that were just trying to have their voices heard and wanted to be part of the discussion. Right. And they ramrodded it through anyway. And this is the same kind of stuff, whether it's the moose closures or it's, uh, uh, fish closures and whatever. And again, uh, let's do it based on science. I- I'm not, for one, uh, suggesting that uh, that we shouldn't have uh, certain times where we don't fish for certain stocks of for salmon sure. and yep. you know hunt Just for like certain kinds of animals, yep. right? That are that are depleting in stocks. No, yep. uh, we're the first ones to say we need to do something here and kind of step in. Yep. But uh, you know, the, the Chinook salmon is a prime example. We have 120 million Chinook, new Chinook come out every year that go into the Canadian waters and uh, that could be fished. And yep. the minister knows this. And we have what's we're proposing a mark selective fishery. You can Google it. It's, it's maybe too long to explain what that is. But where people can legitimately fish for Chinook fish and not deplete any kind of uh, natural or threatened stocks, yep. but the minister still refuses to, to proceed. Wow. So millions and millions of fish. We've heard that even on different areas up in Skeena. Record runs coming back, and they should open the fishery so people can actually catch some of these fish. They yep. won't open it. So Well, an overpopulation is not good either right. because that depletes the food sources, yeah. and that affects all the other species of fish within those yeah watersheds as well so it comes down to mismanagement doesn't it yep yeah it's uh certain times you have to do different things but uh i the the example that i use too is that door is an example the minister they're charged with managing the fishery well managing there's a bit of work involved you come into the office and you manage things all the minister's doing right now she's walking up to the door and going click and locking the door (laughs) and walking away well that's not real management no you know so no anyway that's more of a a dictator ruling. Yeah. That, <laughs> Shut it all down. It's all about ideology instead of uh, science and managing the fish. Before this podcast, I kind of got into a deep dive on the 30 by 30, and then you get down the conspiracy theories. You get down all these things. We won't dive into any of that. No, but, but it's all there on in, in uh, black and white. Just look it up. Uh, yep. Look up the UN explains it. Look up Trudeau's uh, ministers and responsible fisheries and oceans. It's in their mandate letter. Yep. It's in environment, climate change, their mandate letter. Uh, oh yeah, there's enough on it to. Uh, Are there maps accessible yes. to the general I, I, public? Yeah, I actually am doing a presentation tonight at the Petroleum Association, and I'm going to show what the Perfect. current protection map is. Yeah, because yeah, I've, I've posted it on my social media too. Okay. It's kind of got white or sorry, yellow highlighted areas. Yeah, kind of the gist of where things are at right now. Excellent. So if you're interested in checking that out, 
head over your social media or your website yeah. or both yeah, so, yeah, social, social media, media. that's yeah. probably better A big one. And this is a government map too. It's not some Perfect. map made up by somebody else. It's a government of Canada map. Good. Good. Uh, Bill C21. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start by saying thank you very much for all the work that you've done opposing it as it's continued to push through again, being, yeah. I'm going to say forced down our throats. Um, what can we do now? Where, where we're at now? I mean, in the firearms industry, it seems to always be an uphill struggle with what we um, are allowed to use, what we are allowed to sell. Yeah. And um, it continues to get chipped away at and gets the list gets smaller and smaller. As of right now with Bill C-21, we've got semi-automatic yeah. firearms that have become prohibited that were before not. Um, pistols, we can no longer sell pistols. If you own one, you can take it to and from the range. But that's about it. That's all you can do with them, basically. Uh, Magazine capacities have been affected. And now background checks for businesses. This is one that doesn't necessarily affect the general population, but us as businesses as much that we are held to. We have to hold the records for 20 years. Yeah. And we are held accountable if there's ever a court order. I will say there have been in the last year many times where the RCMP division have sent emails to us requesting information without a court order. So then we go down the path of please provide us with as laid out in bill C 21, please provide us with uh, a court order or the judge's letter so we can follow up and then they never respond. Hmm. But there's multiple times where we're getting these emails and phone calls requesting serial number four, seven, three, two, eight was sold to you in February of 2021. Please provide us with a list of where that firearm is now. Yeah. Well, let's follow the law with this. Uh, I mean, we've always kept our records. We've always had access to them for our our keeping. But now we can lose our firearms license if we didn't have that information when we're forced to provide it. Well, they're they're, they're downloading uh, what what is the new registry um, to the to the gun shop owner. Now they have to hold those records, as you explained, for the for the next 20 years, which to me is I mean, it's a nice way, I guess, to unload what what. You know what originally was supposed to cost two million cost two billion the registry yep. and now this is maybe a way to push off that cost to you guys onto us yeah and where you have to manage it but uh it's just to me it's so wrong-headed though because it's not even tackling what the real problem is no which is stacking more layers on what i what i see it is their end goal is to make it so difficult to own a firearm in canada that people just say eh, i don't want to go through all that hassle anymore and i'm seeing that right. i've got i've got some older clientele and some young clientele. I mean, a bunch of the older ones have just said, I don't want to deal with the handguns. Mm -hmm. Take them, hopefully sell them before the the law had changed there a year ago. Um, And we're seeing them hand hand them off. And now we're acquiring collections that the kids want nothing to do with because they don't want to deal with the headaches. Right. These were dad's guns. I I don't need one. Some prohibs or restricted firearms in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just have to hand them and get them destroyed. Well, how do we get them to the cop shop? We're not legally supposed to be transporting them. And I inherited them. Right. So you get caught on a traffic stop and you have this prohibited firearm. You're taking it to the police station. And now, now what's the deal? Right. Now you've broken some pretty significant laws in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, No, it's. Well, well, uh, so you asked about where can we go from here? So, uh, the basic answer to your question is uh, it's still it's in the Senate right now. So we have Don Platt is our leader in the Senate. So we have about 15 conservative senators still that are fighting the fight for us over there on C21. Yep. I've just recently uh, posted a few videos where we post a list of all the senators. Uh, you don't really need to con- call conservative senators. Call all the other liberal appointed senators. Those are the ones that need to be convinced to not support it. Okay. And so we have that. We have their emails and phone numbers. And we have it on our website. We can just, it makes it really easy. You just click on it and it puts it automatically into your email and just, it, it makes it real simple. It's like kind of a, a connection there. Or just phone. And, and there's really not many senators. I think we're down to about 80 or so. Okay. And, and uh, non conservative, we're probably at 65 or so. So all we're asking people to do is just email or call one of these senators, senators a day. And it will make a huge difference because you imagine you see the office. This is what a senator office looks like in Ottawa. Yep. You know, there's one staff person in there, maybe two. Yep. Um, and so normally they might get a handful of calls a week. 
Uh, but we want to really just show them, uh, the firearms community, in a respectful way to these senators. Hey, this is not the wrong, way, not the right way to go. It's the wrong way to go. Uh, you know, C twenty one needs to be defeated, and that's straight up what we're asking people to ask senators to do. So um, that's what can be done right now. Um, uh, and and I would say that's probably it's going to maybe last until Christmas time or so before it's done through committee and, and kind of done through like our senators are delaying it as much as they can. Oh, okay. It'll probably take its course by then. Yep. So there's some time. So in the next month or two, yep. people have a chance to really Get have their voices known. Yep. Excellent. Um, what, what will happen? I'm not going to say what would happen. What will happen Mm-hmm. when the conservatives get back into power with regards to this. If, I know you don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. What What would the goal be, though? Yeah, well, um, first of all, uh, Pierre's been very clear about reversing the bans, uh, very uh, abundantly clear. Um, and, you know, we support hunters and sport shooters and the law-abiding folks that just go and compete in IPSC or these are uh, rifle to hunt with or whatever. We support those folks. We know they're not the problem. Statistically, they're not even the problem. Right. Uh, you know, so that's kind of, that's where we're going. Uh, Pierre has talked about setting up an advisory group on the other side, uh, about simplified classifications, different things like that, but setting up a a group of real advisors, not some, um, sort of politically known entities that, uh, represent one side of an issue, but really experts that really know how to do this and, and, and make it, uh, Good again. Put a proper think tank together from, yeah. with views on both sides. Right. To hopefully come up with a... That's the that's the idea. But, I mean, Pierre's been pretty blunt about uh, reversing the bans and, okay. and really uh, supporting law-abiding firearms owners. Do you think, and, and again, this is where things get a little tricky, do you think we would get back, and this is a, strictly opinion, we've got pistols and we've got semi-automatic ARs, do you think we'd get both back? Yeah, well, reversing the bans is reversing the bans. So, okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That's across. The I know. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, well, and, and the reason I, I, I yeah. kind of dig into that is back in 1998, we had short barrel pistols were prohibited. Yeah. And but we never did get them back. Yeah. And that's why now pistols, all pistols are prohibited and now ARs are prohibited. Yeah. Well, well, we're going to again, we're going to get back to that advisory group and yep. uh, the simplified classification regime. It's a very specific classification regime, yep. and it's in our party policy. We've supported it in our policy uh, um, uh, conventions. Yep. It's been voted for and supported and reaffirmed even this last policy convention. So uh, I would just challenge folks, if you want to see what that looks like, go have a look at it at our policy uh, document. Um but but I actually want to get to, you know, because people will say there's a person out there, and, and the person I was trying to reach, even I coined the term Grandpa Joe, like you'll, you've heard uh, Raquel Dancho and Pierre yep. say it. it was, uh, I coined that after one of my private members, Bill. But it really, uh, you know, these guys, you know, they're not the problem, but we need to somehow convince that, that person in Toronto, that mother of two, who maybe is freaked out a bit by guns. Yep. Uh, that look, you don't have to be concerned about 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 this this person having a firearm. They're not the problem, and uh, I think we've been doing a good job about that. But statistically, it's even interesting. So, uh, you know, uh, but uh, statistically, where uh, firearms owners like pal holders are half as likely to co- to commit uh, a homicide. Uh, I'll ask you the stats. So. Uh, Comparison for the the PAL holder, so that's a licensed firearms owner in Canada, versus the non-PAL holder. So we're going to compare that person, right? So people that have a firearms license versus people that don't. Yep. Uh, How many per 100,000 commit a homicide? Or even accused, not even commit, but accused of a homicide uh, per 100,000 of PAL holders? Well, would it be fair if I had to throw a number out, 5%? It's far less than that. It's one per 100,000. Wow. They're even accused of a homicide. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so less than one per hundred thousand. Yep. Now let's look at the regular population. How many homicides, actual homicides happen with people that don't have a firearms license? Per hundred thousand? Yeah. In Canada? Yeah. In a year? Yeah. It's per, it's per, yeah. A couple hundred? Uh, it's two. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so there's only two. So the easy calculation, even though it's it's not a straight up equivalency, because you're talking about accused of a homicide yep. versus actual homicides. Yeah. One per hundred thousand versus two per hundred thousand. So it's an easy analogy to make, though, is that even PAL holders are twice as safe as the average population. Yeah. So we're not even. There's not even a wash where we're the same. Yeah. We're twice as safe because you know as well as I do, a a, 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 a firearms license holder. Yeah has to go through a whole bunch of hoops and has to, you know, keep their nose you know, squeaky clean oh, yeah. to own firearms in this country. To continue to use and, and safely have those firearms too is uh, it's an ongoing thing that most firearms owners, they care about. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, uh, they do a great job of, of obeying the law. I've, I've heard many times where customers break up with their common law partner or mm-hmm. their wife or, or something like that and automatically their firearms have to be put into storage right. and we actually deal with that yeah. temporarily until things get sorted out and so no crimes have been committed but they've lost the right to own them because there's yeah. an upheaval in their relationship so there's lots of things and I, we've also had a lot of well a handful of customers come in and be proactive about that sort of thing mm. whether they have a child custody issue coming up or whether right. they have a divorce or sep- whatever so there, there it may be coming up they yeah. come in and say hey i'm going to need to put my guns into storage for the next 3 to 4 months is yeah. that all right yep bring them on in and they want to be proactive to go. make sure they don't lose their firearms or their right to own them great example yeah and that's the same person the prime minister is coming after instead of Going after the folks that get their guns illegally, coming across the border, across the border, yep. that are the, the very firearms that are being used to kill our kids yep. in the streets of Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah. So again, our counter to you know, it's one thing to say, you know, just about the firearms issue, but on the other side, what are you going to do? Uh, because this whole uh, confiscation of firearms regime, uh, I've done a few videos on it. Uh, um, it varies. It goes from about six point seven billion and higher. It depends on, and even with this new extra list that's been uh, brought in, this extra fifteen hundred, yep. that wasn't even a calculation with that six point seven billion. So, I guess easily between five and ten billion, this this thing will cost. Yeah. But then you really so the counter question was okay. What can we do in a positive way instead of going after farms owners uh, to really crack down on the well uh, the amount of um, border agents to actually deal with the issue of guns coming across, making sure every unit, those containers are scanned. Every single one is scanned before they come across and get opened on our side of the border. You know, ramp up some of these uh, known uh, weak points where guns are coming across. Let's let's crack down on those places. And and even the inner cities that where these gang guys are, are having these guns and using them, you know, put more, you know, officers to really handle those folks yep. and, uh, and crack down on, on the drug issue uh, at the same time. So yep. there's a real good plan on the other side and how to do it better okay. rather than just like, don't focus on us. This is how to do it better. The, and we've been talking about that. The gun is not the problem. Focus right. on the criminals. Absolutely. And come yeah. down hard on those criminals. Absolutely. And jail, that, not bail. You've I was going to say the catch and release program right. that Pierre has talked about in some of the videos. Oh, yeah. As well, which which is a perfect tie into it's that too. It's uh, insane the amount of uh, and those examples. People have heard them so many times. Like the same forty uh, people in Vancouver have been arrested over six thousand times. Yeah, so that's one hundred and fifty uh, arrests per person. Shouldn't per even year. be. Shouldn't even be an like option. It, like you wonder how that's even possible, but but even just imagine the difference that would make those forty those few people yep. pulling them off the streets how different our lives would be if those people weren't doing what they're doing and how much money that would save the taxpayer there you go again with the court systems with yep. everything that comes down yes. to each time they break the law right pull yeah. 40 people out of Vancouver and we'd see a drastic difference 40. 40. that's it and we have those same kind of issues in our northern communities right it's the same stuff yep just maybe a few less in terms of number but we know who uh, they are but exactly we see them on the streets right. after you hear them of them getting arrested. Yeah. Um, we've seen that just in our store in the last four years, the crime rate, not the crime rate, the theft rate um, skyrocket. The number of people that, that we need to be following and, and asking to empty their pockets. And um, it's, it's gone through the roof in the last while. And I mean, we now know. I hate to say I know some of them by name because yeah. we know to stop them when they show up. Right You're on. not welcome. 
Right. But it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. And you talk to people, the RCMP, I've got one customer who is an RCMP officer, no longer lives in Dawson, but I still keep in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And he says, once I retire, (laughs) we'll be able to have a a more open discussion about this. But he said, however bad you think it is, it's a hundred times worse. And he said, the frustration level that I have enforcing these laws to know that I'm just going to be dealing with that same individual within the month. And that, that you feel for those uh, folks because they often get the blame. Yep. And you know, talk about frustrating. Imagine having to do eight hours of paperwork on an individual and they're out waving at you by noon. But before you've done the paperwork. Right. <laughs> and then start it all over again. So, yeah. But we need to give them the tools. We need to give the prosecution the tools to keep some of these unique individuals behind bars and yep. so they can't recommit and recommit. You know, and I'll add into that, this current prime minister, uh, the irony was I did a a video with Aaron Gunn about firearms and it was about C, I think it was 20, well, C21 and then C22 came out the same week, two days later. So imagine C21, this is a firearms crackdown on us law-abiding folks, right? Mm -hmm. Within two days, they put in C22 that actually lessened the consequences for, I think, 14 firearms-related crimes. Wow. The same week. The uh, irony. The irony. Here, yeah. we're trying to cut down on things, but we're going to lessen the yes. the blow. You just... And so, and so, and they, they you know, Lametti and all these previous ministers, I don't know, it wasn't us, wasn't us, right? But you hear from the prosecutors, and it absolutely had an effect, because it just, once that was established as a very low bar... That, that was just the way it was now. It yep. was the way it was. Uh, the future cases were going to be treated. They're, these guys were going to end up just walking because there was no mandatory minimums. And But anyway, going the wrong direction, that's for sure. Going yeah. after the wrong people. Meanwhile, they're coming after guys like us. It's just crazy. Yeah. I've seen on Facebook posts uh, the comment threads because, again, when I'm paying attention to what's happening in our community and when people are calling out other individuals, whether it's the mayor, whether it's the RCMP, whether it's the judges, yeah. let's point the finger in the direction it needs to go. Because yeah. really, it's not the judges making these rules. It's not the Crown prosecutors or the RCMP. Mm-hmm. This is at the highest level right. that things need to change. Yeah. And so just I, I just wanted to throw that out there yeah. as, as a talking point because we need to change it from the top. I, I honestly would say res- I would respond back with this. So I think everybody really needs to uh, hunker down and, and really crack down on, on these crimes, whether it's prosecution, whether it's uh, you name the entity. Uh, they need to realize that what's happening, it's costing people their lives, our, our kids on the streets. Yep. It's uh, people aren't feeling safe to walk out in our communities anymore. Nope. All whether it's you know you name the the group that really can crack down, they need to start cracking down on this stuff. For sure. Yeah. I go to a gym just down the block here at nine thirty in the evenings, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, growing up in Dawson Creek, I've always felt this to be a safe place to be. Sure. But I make sure I don't have my headphones in yeah. when I walk out of that gym at 1030 at night. Yeah. You have to have your head, head on a swivel because there is quite the population walking the streets yeah. in the downtown core that could be problematic. I mean, I'm pretty confident with sure. looking after myself, but we shouldn't have that feeling walking around downtown. Right. And just imagine you're, uh, you know, uh, a young, you know, 18 year old, like my daughter, eight, 19 year old girl coming and you're having to walk home with that same yeah you know, my my daughter's she's played competitive hockey and she's she can carry herself very well but but if we're even concerned about it just imagine yep. some of those other folks that uh it'd even be more daunting yeah yeah man yeah what's, what's caused all this well i think it's um decriminalization of of hard drugs is part of it uh, again this is the government that, that basically said uh you know uh, you know that drug addict. Uh, we don't want to make him a criminal, and that's fine. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're an addict. But when you decriminalize something, and you and you use the terminology where you call it safe supply, where that's what they yep. literally call it. Uh, we've heard Aaron Gunn again. He had a great video on it. Canada is dying. He says where kids are actually hearing safe supply, so they think it's safe. It's a safe drug for me to use. Might right. as well. Says safe. Try it. It's that simple to, to most people, right? The government is saying this is safe now when it isn't. Yeah. Um, and so they're getting uh, involved in this stuff. And, and it's uh, Canada's Dying Video is quite informative because it really shows you 
it isn't just some drug dealer on the street where they're buying their drugs. It's actually they're buying these from pharmacies. So uh, they get a prescription because they so-called safe supply. So they're issued a safe supply. Yeah. Uh, unsafe. I don't think any of it's safe. So I call it unsafe supply. Uh, and because that person that's been prescribed this, that's not a, a high enough hit for them anymore. So they trade that stuff and sell it to go buy the fentanyl and buy the, the harder hitting drugs. Wow. So that's how the kids or kids are getting a hold of these uh these drugs, they call them uh, dillies and is a dilatids is the, the term. And anyway, anyway, uh, this is how this this problem has kind of just gone, has grown yep. exponentially just because of the decriminalization. And, and again, it lands at Trudeau's uh, in his lap again. And it's something that I've definitely flip flopped on when it first occurred. I thought that will free up the court systems. It'll it'll yeah. f- for the person walking walking down the street with a their own personal amount. Sure. And I thought, you know what, that'll, that'll save us as taxpayers money. Yeah. But now I see how that's all played out with the safe injection sites just here in town. Yeah. We've, we've now built the complex for mm. clean living. Mm. That's not so clean. Right. We see what occurs outside that building right across from a daycare. Yeah. And we've now built the infrastructure in this community that wasn't there before that allows more right. and more people to continue that lifestyle. Right. And that uh, I've known a good old friend of mine, Marshall Smith. He's the guy that really deserves credit for establishing the, the Alberta model, the recovery model. So instead of supplying people with uh, addictive drugs, where, yep. where the end is death, really. It, there's, no, right. there's no end where it's a positive end for giving somebody drugs. You're always looking for the next slightly better high, right. chasing the dragon. So he said there's no way a, a, an addict... Uh, you know, gets better getting supplies of drugs. So the best way is recovery and really seeing them get off those drugs and then becoming healthy people again. Yep. And, you know, you contextualize that a bit. It's one thing to see somebody, well, you know, they're a drug addict that's uh, down the street or something, but that's somebody's son, somebody's daughter. Yep. Uh, that family wants to see that person whole again. Yeah. And, and that's what our vision for it is too, is recovery. Um, instead of, you know, seeing what was happening, uh, you know, just on Hastings Street in Vancouver just last week. And they're doing a lot of cleaning up now. It's uh, it used to be just a mess. It's still a mess, but it's getting better. Yep. But but again, the solution is recovery. It's not uh, kind of uh, supplying addicts with drugs. That's not the way to go. I've witnessed that um, on a personal level with a friend that has been a friend since elementary school mm-hmm. who's been through it half a dozen times mm-hmm. and the the scariest part right now is the drugs are becoming so well and, and I, I don't i can't say i know what they were like before yeah but me either the draw is always there he's been clean five times and mm-hmm. back in back yeah. out back in and seems to get life back on track and then goes off the rails sure. and all it takes is once yeah. and then it's it's down the deep rabbit hole right there, there is no quick easy there's no cure you can't take away that craving by the sounds of it from what 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 i'm hearing when i sit down and have coffee with them yeah but uh but but giving them a supply where it's not the answer most definitely you know and that's uh um you know setting up these centers here um and whether it's fort st john or dawson creek i don't believe is a solution no you know it's what they're doing that i've spoken i did a video on it the, the one that was planned in fort st john is not far away from a daycare center yeah um it is not the solution but no. yet you know the the province is what it is it's a it's an ndp kind of left-leaning government that yep. sees this as this is what they want to do but they need to see what's happening on the streets and go okay that's not working that wasn't happening before they implemented right. it. That's it wasn't, the big thing. It wasn't there before. It wasn't. Yeah. And then all you need to do is look over, uh, you know, uh, an hour away in, in Alberta and you walk into, uh, I'm told, in any, to any hospital and you say, hey, I want, I need to get well and I'm an addict. They, they won't put you on a waiting list six months from now. You are immediately taken into the system and handled right from that moment <laughs> on and given care right there. So uh, that there, there's a, there, that's the Marshall Smith was a big part of uh, the design of that program. Uh, so you contrast the two provinces, one that's actually seeing people recover and get better yeah, or just keep giving addicts drugs. I look forward to seeing 
recovery numbers and see how Alberta is yes. doing in three years because that's yeah. phenomenal. That's the way we want to go federally from yeah. a federal perspective. Pierre is all about recovery. That's excellent. Yeah. And if it becomes or when the conservatives get in yeah. and push in that direction, will the provinces have much say as they, like you say, BC is right now saying, oh no, we want to yeah. provide these safe injection yeah. sites. Will yeah. they still have that? The, the mechanism, I mean, provinces still have a, a, a big amount of autonomy on how they deliver healthcare. I know, yep. and I have heard this many times, people frustrated with the healthcare system. And I say, well, the federal government collects the taxes to distribute to provinces and provinces run healthcare the way they choose to run it. Yep. We've never been prescriptive to say this is the way it's going to be for healthcare. Um, that's up to the provinces to decide on how they do it. But uh, one thing that, that Pierre is great at is providing pressure. And, um, you know, that's the, the vision I think that we see. This is the way we want to go. Uh, how that program will actually function is yep. it remains to be seen. But I think there's a great example now that we have with the province of Alberta where they're doing it. Everything may be not going perfect, but they're starting. Right. Uh, but what we've heard from uh, from folks that have uh, used the program and, and people that are seeing it uh, function, it's doing great. Excellent. And I mean, that's, I think that'll be the best way to convince other provinces when you have a success story and exactly. you've got the, the proofs in the pudding. Right. And so if they can show a recovery rate of X, crime decrease of X, exactly. all these things, they all tie in together. Absolutely. Agreed. Dare we? Dare we discuss inflation? <laughs> hey, you, it's Let's your, get into it. Um, your time. Uh, the yeah. the topic of just inflation is is the hashtag you see on social yeah. me media, and what's occurring. I got in trouble for saying that. Oh, okay. In the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought uh, his former speaker Anthony Rota, uh, he didn't like it when I brought it up. He actually cut me off. So. But it is what it is. It, it, it's true, though. It, it's just inflation, too. It's a it, there's it's a, anyway. It's a but, play but, on but words. Inflation's a, a real time. thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's you know, and and the prime minister tries to deflect and say it's an international issue. But when you spend money like like the way he's spending it, and you print money like the way he's printing it, uh, you know, Pierre, just a little lesson on on economics. Uh, you know, you flood the system with that many dollars, everything inflates. It just yep. drives the value of, of goods higher and everything costs more, right? Yep. Uh, and anyway, uh, I think what we need to do is, is again, balance budgets is, is very important as, as Canadians. Like, it won't balance itself? Uh, well, as that's Justin what the Prime said. Minister said. <laughs> well, and people, people ask me, they say, well... Um, Okay. Well, our current situation is when the prime minister took over, it was about six hundred and twenty-eight billion in debt. Yep. And I remember even just cringing the deficits that we had. They were nineteen billion and something. The last year there was zero. But even cringing at that number, uh, he has since doubled our national debt to one point two eight trillion. I was looking up last night, and it was two point one is what they were saying through the Fraser Institute. Okay, so but even at one point okay, eight so, trillion. Oh, and it's sickening when when you actually. I'm doing a video on it. We're, we're making up the physical size of that kind of money. So just because I know a lot of. I used to bring this up when I was a teacher. Okay, what does a billion look like? What does a million look like? What does a trillion look like? Yep. We, well, it's just a little bit more than a billion. You know, a million, a billion, just a little bit more than a million. Well, no, it's massively, massively that's different. Seconds to minutes to days. Oh, it's it's yeah. unbelievable the scale. Yeah. Like uh, anyway, but getting back to inflation. So when you keep spending money on things you really don't need to be spending money on, um, you know, there's. You know, certain things. Back in the day when, when the economy was kind of in a lull, uh, governments would spend in deficit to build up infrastructure because there was manpower available and things were a little bit lower cost yeah. during yep. a little downturn in the economy. So things like a new Peace River Bridge or a new, we'd be getting done at these times, right? Yep. So all that money that's gone out the door, that $600 billion, yep. would have gone to something tangible where we could say, oh, well, at least we got that done. Yeah. But you tell me how much infrastructure has been built in Prince George, Peace River, Northern Rockies in the last eight years. Not much. Not much. No. So where did all that money go? That's a great question. For sure. And a lot of it went. And the, the problem is when they say everything's grand and they're still spending and they're still spending more than they're taking in. Like we're still deficit spending. 
Like yep. we, they should have balanced the budget a year or two ago. Yep. But okay, why are they still spending more than they're bringing in? It doesn't make sense, right? Yep. Because I think right now the it seems like they're caring all of a sudden because I think the economy and, and Canadians are realizing, okay, these guys, uh, you know, are ruining the economy. And, and we, okay, we need to do something about the economy. But uh, I'm saying this, I think Trudeau's worried about it. But uh, I think it's, you know, he's still, he has a spending habit and uh, just can't say no. And, um, you know, spending on things that are just foolish, like a, a firearms confiscation plan. Right. That we know like that. will not decrease crime. Right. We Period. know it won't. Yeah. Right. So, no, we need to tackle inflation from Pierre's perspective. We've been very strong on this. That That is one of our... Our prime goals is to get uh, the government spending in order. Yep. yep. And what are your thoughts on the spending that's leaving the country? In what way? Um, when the Conservatives get back into power, yeah. will there be such a push on su- supporting outside of Canada? Well, I think, I think uh, Canada has always been a nation that's uh, helped its neighbor, yep. right? So I don't think that's going to necessarily end. Yeah, uh, I know it won't because we're still going to be that same country. For but sure. I think I think we really are going to uh, be far more responsible on, on how much is going and where it's going. Right, right. It's as if they don't have a budget. Just keep writing checks. Well, just when, keep when you see checks. some of the money just going out the door for certain things, and you, you think, well, a tenth of that would still be well appreciated so why so much you know yeah uh, i think most can especially when that same canadian gets bugged from cra every couple of months because they they owe them a grand uh from <laughs> from last uh you know tax year that they weren't able to pay yep and the government can sure chase them down but just give it out like it's you know yeah, yeah. like it's uh, there's no tomorrow so um, no, I think we're going to, you know, not speaking for the leader, but uh, definitely look at where the parties, uh, I mean, we know what our priorities will be, but uh, also I think be much more prudent with the public purse. Well, and there was one video I watched of yours where you were just talking about the cost on revamping passports. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> Yeah, so we, uh, Derek, uh, uh, Damien Couric, um, he did an order paper question, like how much did this uh, revamping of this redesign, redesign, they call it, of the, the passport. And, you know, you think, well, 50 million would be lots. And yeah. 400 and I think 45 million. And you think, how in the world could you even do that? Yeah. Right? 445 million. And to, to basically take the history, strip the history right out of the passport, because all those kind of figures that were in the book now are yep. all kind of gone to, wow. to Trudeau paddling in his canoe as a kid or something. So <laughs> they were saying it's him, but I don't know. I don't, don't see how, how you can spend that kind of money on such a question. project. But again, you kind of go back to about, uh, I was just talking to somebody before this about uh, Trans Mountain and how much it's costing. And. Uh, when, when things are so crazy, over-the-top expensive, you wonder whose pockets are getting lined right. with this. Yep. And so the same thing. Who are the consultants? Yep. All those kind of questions that need to be answered with the, the passport redesign. Who got their pockets lined when this was happening? Because that's an insane amount of money. Yep. Like even the Arrive Can app was $54 million. We talk about that. Well, that's crazy enough too, but yep. this is 10 times that. And it doesn't seem like that big of a... No. Like, I think my high school media arts class could have been working on something like that at a fraction and <laughs> come up with a new I redesign. But it's insane. Yeah. 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 Th- those numbers are astronomical. It is. And so, so, and then you think, you just talked about inflation, when you're spending money on stupid stuff like that. Yeah. And that's just the stupid stuff that we've seen. Yeah. There's, I mean, he's doubled, he's doubled our national debt. Yep. So... You know, it's going. You know, there's a way out of this, though. I think on the other side of this, people ask, how can we pay down the debt? Uh, we have a great natural resource sector in the country. We produce natural gas. Nobody does it better, uh, cleaner, yep. uh, you know, in Canada, more efficiently, uh, whether it's forestry, whether it's mining for critical minerals or you name it. Nobody does it better. So uh, there's a way to pay down our bills, mm-hmm. but we have to. Like what Pierre's talked about too, get get uh, you know decisions made on projects instead of taking eighteen years. Uh, make it pull it down to eighteen months. 
Right. And even, even less than that, if we can to 12 months and, uh, get back to where we once were as a, a nation that produced resources and we're proud of it. And the example that I use a lot, people say, well, kind of, uh, you know, uh, maybe wonder what other countries do this. Well, Norway is, is considered one of the most environmentally, you know, respected countries in the world. Well, yep. what do they do? How do they make their money? They drill for oil and gas off offshore, right? But they also have the highest per capita electric car. Uh, popular. They they do so many other things that are they're respected for environmentally. Carbon offsets. And guess how much debt they have. I have no they, idea. They don't have any debt. They have okay. a trillion dollar fund that they spend the interest from. Wow. So you think a country of about five million people. Yeah. So you think, well, that should be Canada, but times ten. Oh, for sure. Where, where we can produce and pay for things. Yep. You know, and and uh, you know, because I think we're doing all the rest of that anyway. But instead, I mean, they are they proudly produce their own resources. Uh, we've had a leader for the last eight years that's seemingly ashamed of, of every resource that we have. Yep. Whether, again, forestry, you know, shutting down mills. Yep. Uh, all because of 30 by 30 and whether it's oil and gas or you name yep. it. Um, mines in the Northwest Territories in Nunavut, uh, you know, we could be de- producing all that, keeping Canadians working. Producing revenue for for healthcare and things like that. I mean, the the future is laid out before us. We just yep. need a government that's going to respond to that future in a positive way. Yeah, responsible now, way too. Oh, for sure. Is some of that uh, tied into the fact that Canada can't necessarily export these products directly to the final? When, when I think of our oil and oil and gas yeah. and how most of it gets sold to the States, is that a yeah. correct statement? Yeah. As opposed to us being able to sell it overseas directly, yeah. the U.S. is making, we'll call it the lion's share of the profit yeah. off of those products. Yeah. Why is it so hard to get Canada to be able to sell direct to make more profit to sell? Well, well, it's, it's things like... Um, you know, moratorium. So the, the government has made moratoriums uh, that you can't ship certain things in certain waters, right? Uh, but you can ship out of the lower mainland, though. There's that little opening corridor, yeah, yeah, right down there that you can. So it does happen, right? And it can happen more. But, but who's making those decisions? Well, that's the Is prime it- minister saying that. So the example uh, I'll use from the north. Is uh, so 2016, the prime minister gets elected. I uh, just ran into the premier, the former premier of Northwest Territories, so a guy yep. named Bob McLeod, and uh, chatted with him a bit. He really likes Pierre, by the way. He has a brother that's an MP that's a liberal, sitting in as a liberal right now. But when Trudeau came in, so imagine the Northwest Territories, if you look up at the Arctic Ocean, they have gas development and oil to, they want to prosper their territory, mm-hmm. right? And they have all these plans, all this exploration's been done, you know, billions ready, you know, kind of to be developed. The Prime Minister comes in and says moratorium, just shuts it down, just like with a snap of a finger. So the Premier at the time was not needless you know, not needless, but uh, very upset that w- without even con- consulting with the premiers of the territories, Trudeau just comes in and does this this ideological, I'm shutting you all down in the Arctic because I want to go back and brag that I'm doing things for the environment to my buddies in Davos. <laughs> well, guess who that leaves in uh, in limbo? It's all those people who are living probably eight to nine, ten people in a house up yep. in Tuktoyaktuk yep. because they can't afford another house because there's no economy there, right? There's basically nothing going on. Right, yeah. Uh, and so there's no real revenues coming in to really change yep. the situation up there, and that's the same. Uh, Nunavut is very similar. Uh, where you could be having this prosperous community, right? Yeah. And, but anyway, that kind of is a long answer yep. to your question, but yep. but that all comes down to one decision by the prime minister to implement a moratorium along in to, the Arctic. To look good to his buddies. That's yeah. to look good to his buddies. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, to be very frank about the matter, uh, shipping oil, gas is really what we're desired for, too, is around the world. They want our natural gas, but even our oil. Uh, there, there hasn't been uh, an, an, oil, an oil tanker incident with a double hull because we all, uh, all our oil that leaves our country is in double hull tankers. Okay. There hasn't been one incident in the world ever. Wow. With a double hull tanker. Yeah. So, and, and we even have the uh, TK shipping is, uh, 
is a, is a Vancouver company that builds has a shipping ship company that's built freighters uh, for natural gas too. Yep. all over the world. And they told us this, like it's it's an incredible record. But for some reason, this prime minister is like the firearms thing, going after the wrong people. Yeah. Instead of developing that resource, we're the most responsible in the world to do it. So why don't we do it yep. with anybody? And uh, and then talk about then out of our out of our surplus, help others. Right. Right. Instead of yep. you know spending borrowed money on yeah, uh, like Trudeau's given so much away. So. When the Conservatives get back into power in the next election, yeah. how long do you think it would take to get out of debt? Uh, that $2 trillion, $1.8, trillion, like, That's will a, my children see it? Yeah, well, well I th- <laughs> yeah, so it is possible uh, to give it a timeline. That's tough to say. Yeah. But, uh, but we want to send the message that we want to get our develop, uh, get back to developing our resources once again. And uh, that's, we see by doing that, it's really good for the whole country. Yeah, for sure. So we need to generate product, sell the product, yeah. as opposed to closing yeah. down access to extraction of any of these right. products, the no matter what they for, are. For all those products too, the markets are there. And we've got such a large landmass with so many resources and a small population compared to the rest of the world, yeah. most places, right? Oh, yeah. So we can do it in a sustainable intelligent way yeah. and still leave some backcountry, the animals, the water, the fish for our great grandchildren to still be able to enjoy as well 100%. and still have access. Yeah. Well said. Do you think we will see an election before October of 2025? Uh, I think it's possible. Um, so I'm going to give you a likelihood. So uh, I hear the NDP is going to, uh, they have their convention. I think it's coming up this weekend. And if their leadership changes, there could be an election. Okay. Because um, we don't know. Uh, because we know they're, they're getting hammered hard by their own members of, su- for supporting the Liberals. Okay. For everything. Good. We know they are. Good. So that might change the direction of that new leader if there's a new leader. So it, if they have a new leader, it's possible. Okay. We've seen an election before. Uh, I'd say the likelihood, if Jagmeet Singh stays as the NDP leader, is likely that we have an election is very low. It'll run its term. and Yeah, because his uh, situation, th- them as a party, they're, they have debt. Uh, they don't have any money. Uh, they're in a great position because now they're power broker with the prime minister. They get to kind of tell him what they want. Okay. Right? Um, if they go into an election with all the numbers the way they are now, they're going to lose seats and we're going to be government. And they're not going to have much say when we're there, uh, any say when Excellent. we're there. So uh, that's why, though, they will ride this thing out till uh, October 2025. But there's another possibility that it could go longer. And uh, previous governments have done this. Previous prime ministers, instead of four years, uh, they've gone to the five-year uh, amount uh, because they're allowed to. And Trudeau, if he doesn't have his agenda accomplished the, to the extent that he wants it to be uh, accomplished, then he could extend it if he wants to. But uh, believe me, the numbers, if you see the numbers right now, uh, the, the, the Liberals are looking at losing 50-some seats. Uh, the NDP is looking like they're going to lose some seats. There is going to be a change like people haven't seen for a long time. So, But for us, we, we have to stay focused and uh, just keep working hard uh, for sure. Even though it's frustrating for Canadians that are, cause the, the, probably the biggest question I get on social media is like, why don't you guys do anything about it? You know, but the way it is, we just simply don't have the numbers. Every time that we have a confidence, the ability to vote a, a vote of non-confidence, we do it. Yep. But uh, the reality is the only party that even votes with us a little bit is the block, but the NDP and liberals make up the difference and they form the majority. Right. And that just is the way it is. Other, uh, we expose a lot of the stuff going on. Like, like in the house, most people wouldn't hear how bad they were unless we were exposing it. But yep. the reality is we just don't have the numbers. Uh, Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. But the way things are trending now, you will. Uh, well, I, I would never speculate on that. Hopefully. We, we just need to keep working hard. Yeah, hopefully we'll win. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen elections where you expect to win, you don't. And yep. I've seen ones that, that are that are tight and we end up winning. So I'm, re- I, yeah. I'm really concerned because we've now gone two terms and I, I don't. 
I don't see a positive future for Canada if we do another four-year yeah. term under yeah. Trudeau. Well, and even provincially. Yeah. Um, the, the province is a mess too, and there's really no pathway to, to a better future for us here, the way things are either. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's another conversation. Now that said, and this will be kind of what I, what, what I end on, now more than ever, whether it's in Canada, in the States, we're seeing such a political divide yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's a shouting match. It's us versus them as opposed mm-hmm. to let's work together. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it going to take to a, be able to reach out to the, the middle ground people that may be conservative, maybe liberal, mm-hmm. don't know where they're going to vote, don't know if they're going to vote. And how do we bring them on board mm-hmm. to what, I, what I'd call the common sense politics as it's referred to? That's what, that's what it's good. You brought, brought that up, that terminology. And Pierre has been doing this for a while now since he, he, he sees that too, like, um, you know, the need to kind of prosecute the prime minister kind yep. of to, to prove to people how bad this guy is, but people, okay, enough of him. What are you guys going to do? So he's been talking about that common sense kind of revolution and he's been winning those folks over folks that have voted. You wouldn't believe it. These rallies, uh, people that voted NDP staunch NDPers for like their families and for their lives are voting for Pierre. And it's because of that, the sort of the common sense stuff. It's about the freedom uh, over your healthcare choices. And it's, uh, you know, freedom is probably the word that's the narrative that's most appealing for people that are drawn to, to Pierre. Yep. Um, so I see that happening, sort of that, that you know, where the divisions, it isn't just about, like, you see it more in the States where it's more by, uh, sort of by cameral group, right? You have Republicans and Democrats. Yep. Uh, but Pierre's winning some of those folks over that were were seemingly on the left, but over certain issues, they're saying, "Okay, I'm going to come over because of what you're saying about this particular issue." And you know what? One of the biggest issues uh, is firearms. Oh, okay. It's access, legal access to firearms. And I had a, a person from uh, a local band, and uh, and I have a lot of support in local bands too. By the way, that that I put signs up on their lawns and. But the one particular individual, he says, you know, we don't always agree on the uh, on stuff. He says, but, but he says, I sure like what you're doing on firearms. Excellent. And so some of that common ground we're, yep. we're coming together on. So, hey, let's stand together on the common stuff that really matters to you. Because yep. some of these issues, uh, you might, you know, a number we may not agree on most issues, but that one issue of firearms, that is the most important issue that person's voting on. It's the right. valid question for them. Yep. And that's why they're going to vote for us or... You know, it's, for some it's finance and some it's the economy. So yep. we're winning those middle grounders over. Excellent. Yeah. And it's more of a, let's get back to a prosperous uh, Canada. And uh, we're all proud Canadians. Let's get back to that, uh, the country that we, we love. We still, I still love my country. But let's uh, get the country back to where it once was and in that place in people's hearts and a uh, country that, that we're proud of and proud to be a part of for sure and this is all coming from someone on on my end who was never huge into politics as a as a young person didn't really care when i was a kid and in high school and stuff but the older i get the more i see getting into business getting out of working for the government when i was teaching for 10 years where even through that whole time when the majority of my peers were were more in the the liberal ndp mindset I was still conservative. I grew up in family business. I worked in the oil patch. I paid my way through and saw how everyone else gets through life that that doesn't, isn't employed just by the provincial government. Um, And we have to look at both sides and the, the older I get, the more I feel that everybody needs to have their voice heard, needs to step up, needs to speak up. Yeah. Otherwise, what will we have to give to our children? Right. Right. And, and we're seeing a downward spiral as we did when, yeah, Justin's father was in power, right? I, and I wasn't old enough to, to pay attention then, but my yeah. father sure talks about that a lot. Yeah. Well, and the so. threats to free speech, like with C eleven and C eighteen, is uh, two other issues. You know, where the the government now is going to have oversight what you post online and yep. and all this other stuff too. The country you said, uh, you know, the country that we once just you know kind of took it as a given that we had free speech and had all these kind of things offered to us now. And those, those kind of privileges are being encroached upon by government. Yep. 
um, again, that country that we're going to pass to our kids, it's like, okay, we really got to, I think most people, that's why we've seen this just sort of people stepping up yeah. is because they do see it's at risk. And if we don't step up now, we may not recognize uh, the country in 10 years. If, uh, like you said, if another four years of this government happens, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you recommend pursuing a career in politics? Absolutely. Uh, well, well, I'll say this is a broad one. So I never planned to run. I was, uh, I was just kind of like you. I was 19, though, but I was I signed up under the Reform Party because I wanted to see change. And it was after I saw some of my paychecks and how much taxes was going to Ottawa. Yeah. My, my family was always conservative, but to really motivate me per, uh, personally. But, uh, you know, what, what kind of just was involved and then... Um, you know, became involved in the local riding association federally. That's where I was drawn to. But really, we need people to make a difference at every level. So whether it's at the school board level, whether it's at the municipal council level, all these people, you're, I think you're seeing where the left has really kind of hijacked some of these, uh, you know, so-called smaller influential uh, positions, but they're very influential positions. Yeah. If it's a school board, there's some big stuff they're dealing with right now yeah. that we need some solid leadership to say, hey, that ain't going to happen under my watch, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that we need people to step up. And once they get those positions, this is what I challenge every counselor. Don't just be a counselor that doesn't make a difference where you sit there and you vote for things and you, nobody really knows what you're doing. S stand up for what you believe when you're in those chambers and stand up for yourself in those school board meetings because that's why people elected you, you know, or regional district or whatever. Don't sit on the fence. Yes. Like stand up and be counted. That's yep. why people want you there. Yep. So, uh, no, absolutely challenge people to do that too. And, and most people, uh, what I was getting to when I was explaining my story, uh, you know, I tell this story in grade five classes. I ask, how many people here want to be the member of parliament? So you get maybe one kid puts his hand up. And I say, how many never think they're going to be the member of parliament? Most hands go up. I said, well, that was you. Yep. I would have never thought it would have been me. And I'm sure your listeners, most people out there, that's not me. Right. I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't public speak. Hey, I wasn't a big public speaker when I started either. But I was so driven to make a difference. Yep. And so the same goes with anybody. If you're feeling the call, just do it. Yeah. Run and you'd be surprised where you end up. You put your name for it and people, you're an honest person that just wants to make a difference. People will support you and uh, want you to be their representative because they, they want to see themselves there making those decisions out there. That makes sense. And anyway, no, no, absolutely. Good question. Excellent. Yeah. Well, okay. thank you very much for your time, Bob. Yeah. I really well, enjoyed this. Thanks for having me today. That was uh it doesn't seem like there's ever enough time to really finish the conversation. <laughs> there, there's more that we could dig into and yeah. we could be here all afternoon, but I yeah. really do appreciate you making That's time. And Thanks for what you guys have done as, uh, as Corlanes and, and as uh, local Dawson Creek. You have different companies, not just Corlanes, but I uh, really appreciate what you guys do. Just in, uh, It's not easy being a retailer, farms or retailer in Canada anymore. Nope. nope. So, uh, it's just, an uphill struggle, but but, but, I, but you believe in it. And, for sure. Uh, you know, you were raised that way. I know your dad and uh, we're just trying to pass what we have on to our kids. Yep. Yeah. So keep keep going. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in and thanks for being here. And thank on Hard Talk Free brought, brought to you by Ballistics Custom Turrets. Take care.